Hey y'all, you're listening to episode 47 of Eco Chic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz. I'm really, really happy to have you here. Thank you for tuning in today. If, if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to rate and review us on all your favorite podcast listening platforms. It really, really helps us out. Today's episode of Eco Chic is probably the most thought-provoking and socially questioning episodes that we have had thus far on the podcast. A couple of months ago, I asked what you guys are looking forward to in the year and what you'd like to hear from the podcast, and a ton of y'all responded actually that you're interested in having conversations with people who don't necessarily agree with me, people who don't necessarily conform to my lifestyle and my beliefs, and I really appreciate that because I feel like some of the best learning I have done academically and personally has been just through conversations that question my very basic understanding of a particular subject. So for that reason, I'm really, really excited today to be talking with Dr. Brian Peterson. So Brian Peterson actually is a professor at Northern Arizona University, where I received my master's degree in climate science and solutions. And he does do work in a very similar master's program and in a similar department, but we were not in the same department. But I got to know Brian actually just through separate lectures and brown bag seminars that he gave. And we once just like grabbed a cup of coffee because I wanted to pick his brain a little bit for a paper that I was writing, just getting some thoughts together. And Brian Peterson is like really such an insightful lecturer. He's intriguing and he is so good at what he does at questioning the basic societal principles around sustainability. And that's something that I'm really, really passionate about learning about. And I'm so excited for y'all to be hearing this little bit of conversation because I truly feel like every time I leave a talk with him, I'm just enlightened and inspired. And I'm just like thinking a lot more critically about my lifestyle. We're talking today about the circular economy, which is actually a theory that I thought quite a little bit about in graduate school. So the circular economy is basically the idea that nothing enters or leaves an economic system, that all of your resources can be efficiently reused and reallocated into new products. And then in that way, you're never sending anything to a landfill. You're not extracting new materials, etc. Everything is just used really efficiently and completely. And I thought about this theory quite a bit because I took an environmental economics class when I was in grad school. And one of the tasks was actually to write a paper on an economic just inefficiency that you saw in the system. And I wrote about waste and how trash is really like a resource that we're not actively using. I thought quite a little bit about uh, methods for waste to energy. So really just like incineration and things like that. But something that I played around with a little bit was the idea of a circular economy. And I didn't really know a whole lot about the theory. I don't come from an economics background. I come from like a harder science, biology, ecology background. So Brian was really insightful to kind of shed some light on just like the basic information. Because when you look up circular economy online, it's really hopeful. And it's just like, really encouraged for our society to move towards this totally circular system. And Brian kind of shed some light on like why that's really not the answer to climate change. And we also talk quite a bit about technology and societal norms and things like that. So this is kind of a short conversation for the amount of information that we covered. And I just, I loved it so much. I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please go ahead and let me know because I would love to keep having talks like this on the podcast. I think that this is such an interesting way to learn. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear a little bit of his insight, his statistics. He loves to just like throw out great stats and also just like really makes you think. Before we get into this conversation, I'm really proud to say that this episode of Eco Chic is brought to you by the Kinder Beauty Box. Kinder Beauty Box is a monthly subscription service of totally vegan, 100% cruelty-free skincare, hair care, and makeup items, and additional accessories. 
always shipped right to your door. And I'm really excited to be sharing this because we do have a code, the code ECOCHIC, E-C-O-C-H-I-C, will get you a free gift in your first Kinder Beauty box. The reason that I was so drawn to Kinder Beauty originally was actually that Daniela Monet is one of the founders, and I really look up to her as a real great role model in the cruelty-free movement. She just makes it really, really chic. And I love the idea of constantly finding new, clean beauty and skincare products. So we do talk quite a bit about beauty and skincare here on the pod, but I think it's really important to be having these conversations about brands that we should be supporting. In my first Kinder Beauty box, I got this like incredible caffeinated eye cream from 100% Pure that I'm like obsessed with. And my first surprise gift in the box was actually a B12 spray, which I'm all about because I do eat a plant-based diet at home. So that's super, super helpful. So if you're interested in finding Kinder Beauty box, I will have all the information down below. Kinderbeauty.com is where you can find them. And again, that code is ECOCHIC, all one word, all capital letters, if you're interested in getting a free gift with your first box. Brian Peterson is a lecturer, a scientist, an author, and an all-around modern thinker. I'm so excited to be having this conversation about the circular economy, the zero waste movement, technology, our societal norms, and where we should be moving towards if we're really going to combat climate change. I hope you guys really enjoy this conversation with Brian. Well, Brian, thank you for hanging out today. Could you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? My name is Brian Peterson. I'm a faculty member at Northern Arizona University. Faculty in what? I'm a faculty member in geography, planning and recreation. That's our department. My background is in environmental studies broadly. I'm a natural, uh, not a, I was a natural scientist as an undergraduate and then quickly moved into social science. And now I work almost exclusively in social science, although engaging uh, ecology and natural science as well. Very cool. I think that's a really interesting background mesh because I think that's one of the things that draws me so much to your lectures. I think you're a great lecturer and you come from a lot of different backgrounds. You can like bring a really broad look at the idea of sustainability. And something that I was really excited to talk to you about today is something that we've talked about in the past, and that is the idea of a circular economy and zero waste. So before we get into that conversation, I was hoping that you could kind of introduce the idea of a circular economy. Like, what is that theory? Well, there's different sort of perspectives on it, but the gist is the circular part means there's nothing that leaves the system. So from a waste perspective, the idea is that rather than creating items that are sold for consumer goods, using them, discarding them, uh, having all kinds of resources that go into that process also discarded during that system, the idea is that you actually have a circular system so that nothing leaves it. So the leaving is basically going to the landfill or pollution. So the idea is that you would actually have products that were made and designed to be either reused or repurposed. You wouldn't have a situation, which we do now, where we basically use virgin materials to create a bunch of goods that then are used sparingly and then discarded and thrown away. The circular economy changes that whole perspective and paradigm and instead focuses on use and reuse. Now, the difference, of course, is going to be that if you have a focus on use and reuse, that's going to drastically alter the economic system that produces the goods in the first place. And that's something that rarely gets addressed in the conversation around zero waste. Absolutely. So just to like recap a little bit. So right now we're living in a very linear economy. So in comparison to the circular economy theory, we are using virgin materials, producing something, and then sending it to a landfill. And the alternative would be 
repurposing and using things within the system altogether. And I appreciate that you mentioned the idea of an economic change. So could we kind of talk a little bit about what that would mean for our society? Like, where are we now if we want to get to that circular economy? We're nowhere near it. That's the issue. <laughs> and uh, the problem is that essentially our entire society is predicated on economic growth. That is to say that all the decisions made in society largely revolve around economic growth. Now, that's a, an exaggeration in some respects, but you get the idea. The point is our well-being is tied directly, purportedly, to how well our economy is doing. Even though the evidence is quite clear that's not true, we have, uh, you know, record profits right now. We have, um, you know, very wealthy people. At the same time, we have increases in anxiety, depression. We have the highest suicide rate since the U.S. government has uh, started taking statistics on over 50 years ago. So we're not doing well. And yet we're told that the only way to have a flourishing society is to have economic growth perpetually and to have lots of economic growth. So that economic growth comes largely from production. That is to say, we create a bunch of goods, consumers buy them. 70% roughly of our economy is based on consumer spending. So our economy is predicated on people buying a bunch of stuff they don't need, which is why we have so much waste in our society, why we have so many goods that we buy and don't use. We have this materialistic approach that's not because individuals want to buy a bunch of stuff. It's because of the way our society is organized, because of advertising. Uh, we were just writing a paper about this this week, or submitting it, and people don't realize this, but it used to be that advertising was greatly restricted for children. Interesting. The, yeah, that was great, greatly restricted by the Federal uh, Trade Commission. And, and so, um, and what happened was in 1988, uh, then President Ronald Reagan vetoed a bill that uh, would have reimagined advertising and limited, again, advertising. And so uh, the, the point is to say that basically we have lots of advertising, because people need to buy a lot of stuff in order to have our economy flourish. Now, in order for that economy to flourish, you have to have a bunch of stuff for people to buy. We have a situation in which many of the so-called consumer goods we have are intended not to last. They're built specifically to be used and thrown away, discarded. And just think about your own life. There's probably items that you own that are not working, that are broken, that are not perfect, but you can't get them fixed. You literally cannot get them fixed. And why? Because it's cheaper to just go buy a new one. And by the way, the system is designed for you to go buy a new one. As a result, we do not have a circular economy. We have just the opposite. Wow. Okay, so I think that's a really good breakdown of, I mean, I appreciate what you just said about when something is broken, you can't necessarily go out and fix it. It's cheaper to buy a new one. And I come across that issue a lot because in my own life, I try to live as zero as possible. But that's really hard in our society. Um, there's a lot of things that you really can't get rid of waste from in your life. And when it comes to things that are broken, it's not necessarily easy to repair them or even to reuse them in another form. A lot of the time with things like clothing, it's a little bit easier. But what about like household goods, um, appliances that I can't really go out and fix myself, things like that. So I think that you are completely like hitting the nail on the head when it comes to our society just like being opposed to that circular system. And just what I mentioned right now about trying to live as zero as possible, I would love to get your take on the zero waste movement, because I know that there is some issues that surround that. Yes, there's all kinds of issues. So a couple things. First of all, I want to be very clear about this. It's not individual actions that are the problem. It's not individuals making bad decisions. Now, again, 
We are embedded in a system in which we are dictated, basically, to buy a bunch of stuff. And that's, again, because of our economy. Also, because there's all kinds of research that shows, you know, in the mid-20th century, as more women in particular were going into the workforce, there were two income households, there was more disposable income. That led to people trying to emulate rich people, essentially. It's just a fact. There's just no, no way around it. So partly it's individual action, but it's embedded in this larger society with particular kinds of objectives, goals, social norms, and so forth. So that's really important to understand. Individuals certainly can make a decision to change what they're doing, to repurpose items, to decide not to buy certain things. I highly recommend that. I encourage people to do that, to think about you know, what a good life means to them, what kind of actions they want to have. But the bottom line is that's not enough. I just saw somewhere, which I cannot find the uh, reference, but it's uh, purportedly the case that over 90% of pollution, particularly plastic pollution, comes from industrial purposes, not from individual actions. So again, even if all individuals changed, it's not sufficient because the system in place is what's producing the waste in the first place. Okay, now, getting to your question about zero waste. Zero waste is a particular kind of effort that's um, you know 30 or so years old. I think Canberra in Australia was the first city to become uh, zero waste or try to become or put, put, put forward a plan to become zero waste. The idea of zero waste is that you basically divert things from the landfill. Okay, now that's actually not necessarily a circular economy. So there's distinctions to be made. And there is a real problem with just looking at the end of the sort of line, so to speak. That is to say, if you're just concerned about you know, where something goes once it's no longer used, well, then you're missing 90% of that item's lifespan. You're not talking about where the items were mined. So if you think about, for example, electronic devices, a lot of the minerals and ores that are being used for that are basically the product of slave labor in which people are using handheld tools to hand dig ore that then through this supply chain gets to your iPhone and, and, and your front door. So that's, that's something to consider. Okay, so how is the system affecting human beings? How is the system affecting the environment? That is to say, where does the mining occur? What is the process by which that m mineral or whatever gets repurposed? How does it get to a facility in which it's put into a product? Who's making those products? We know that many people in Southeast Asia, for example, which is where many of the consumer goods for the United States come from, are working in terrible working conditions. They're taken, you know, they basically have to leave their villages, leave their social networks, move to cities. There's very high rates of suicide and so forth. That doesn't even begin to talk about the other consequences for example, once that product is made in that Southeast Asian facility, then it gets shipped to the U.S. Those are usually on uh, super tankers, 15 of which create more air pollution than all of the cars on the planet. So again, all of these things are important to consider because if you just consider zero waste being something not going to the landfill, you're missing out on all of that social and environmental consequence. Okay, so that's, 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 that's just the, the background starting point. So the question really is, what do we want to do with our society? The zero waste movement is really, I think, quite important. And it is trying to address the waste situation. But if it's just about minimizing what's going into a landfill, it's not broad enough in my view. And, and that's something I think that um, many people don't understand. First of all, most, most people don't think about zero waste. Okay, But even if they do, many cities are moving that way, especially in the, the Western US. Lots of cities are, are putting forth uh, zero waste programs. We have one here in the city of Flagstaff, for example. I'm, I'm very supportive of it. I'm not 
trying to say that everybody working on them is doing the wrong thing. I'm just saying that we need to think carefully about what we want in a society and whether zero waste is sufficient. No, absolutely. And I think that the idea of thinking about the pre-landfill, like how does this item get to you, the variables that surround those uh, production issues are really important when it comes to the conversation of a circular economy. And yeah, people don't always link the idea of zero waste and a circular economy. And so I think that's a really important connection to make. And I appreciate that you brought up the idea of technology and mining ores and that iPhone ending up on your doorstep after this whole long production process that you definitely have not thought very deeply about. And something that really hit me when I was starting to think more deeply about the circular economy theory is that in order to progress as a society at all, we can't really have a circular economy if we are going to continue to produce technology. You can't always repurpose technology to make it bigger and better and what we are going to be using in 100 years. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, so technology is something that really throws me off when I think about the circular economy theory. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned technology because a lot of people think that all of our problems can be solved by technology, essentially. And there's no question that technology is beneficial as I, you know, speak into this microphone, you know, this is all technology. So technology has played an important role, and human civilization has, in part, changed over time largely as a result of new technologies. Okay, fine. But the problem is technology is not a panacea to all of our problems, and I would argue that technology actually creates a lot of problems. So, for example, technology has been embedded in our lives in a way which we have a difficult time getting away from. So, for example, you know, most people now are on some sort of social media. We have cell phones. The average high school student swipes their phone over 2,000 times per day at school. So it's, it's a fixation, and it's in part sort of an addiction. It's also now a, a norm. That is to say, technology has created a new social reality. You can't just say, I'm not going to have technology because you, what are you going to live in a cave. I mean, you can't, just, you can't just do that. You can't just disembed entirely. Technology is pervasive. Now, the question is whether it has to be and whether you can back off from it. And so um, there's, there's a couple things. First of all, in order to create technology, you have to use technology. Okay, so you have to use technology, for example, to create machines that then dig out ore, that then go to different machines, that then transform that into some sort of product. The problem with technology, of course, is that there's downsides to all of that. You're having tremendous ecological consequences. It also has social implications. So we're having modern day slavery to hand mine the minerals that go into your iPhones and cell phones. Uh, people working in factories in Southeast Asia where most of our consumer goods come from are, are working in terrible conditions. They're, they're taken from their villages oftentimes. Taken, I say that, they, they leave, but they don't have any choice really. Uh, there's tremendously high suicide rates. People are not doing well. Then we have to ship the goods over to the U.S. from China. That occurs on giant tankers, super tankers, that create more. There's 15 of which, which create more uh, pollution than all the cars on the planet. So there's all these consequences. And that's even before it gets to where you're using the product. So my point is to say, if we're just talking about zero waste, for example, we're talking about technology, we're missing all of that behind the scenes uh, production chain, essentially. That's highly problematic. Also, technology has been shown time and time again to disassociate people. We are living in a time in which people are not socially connected, which has tremendous health and well-being consequences. And as a result of that, people are not doing well. At the same time, we have you know, corporate profits and so forth. 
I guess the question really is, can we get away from that? And is technology the answer to our problems, or is technology a problem or one of the problems? I think it's pretty clear. I think it's one of the problems. We have way too much focus on technology. The whole Silicon Valley phenomenon, I think, is highly problematic. We glorify it. We have all these social media platforms. But we're not doing well, and that's led to all this animosity in society. It's technologically based. Okay. So personally, I think that rather than focus on new technology to solve our problems, which, by the way, creates new ones, we need to get away from technology or find alternatives that actually lead to well-being. So my view is that rather than you focus on new technology or sort of navigating technology in a way that makes you feel okay, even though you feel like you don't have much control over it, we need to have a different kind of society. And we need to have a society in which people are way more connected and feel like they have strong social ties. And that is something that has been deteriorating for a very long time. How do we get there? How do we overthrow our current societal norms? It's not going to be easy. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. I think that there's, uh, there's a number of ways to do it, frankly. Okay, first of all, we have been, I'm going to say lied to, because uh, the, the idea that we are all doing well, we have all these personal freedoms, which I think are fantastic, and I, I very much appreciate and I'm thankful for. At the same time, that has not led to well-being necessarily, and we have too much of a focus on individuality and less of a focus on how we're doing collectively. How is our community doing? Do you know your neighbors? Do I know anything about what's going on in my city council, let alone the national scale? Most people don't know. They have too much going on. There's, it's just too difficult. So we have you know, a bunch of choices to make, frankly. And the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report last year made it very clear that we are headed for uh, pretty serious consequences as it relates to climate change. And the fact is we have ways in which we can mitigate that. The primary means by which to do that is through technology. That's what we're told. Again, I'm, I'm very dubious of that. The alternative is to fundamentally change our society, move away from this constant, perpetual, primary focus on economic growth at all cost, which is not leading to well-being. It's leading to more wealth. That's not well-being. Instead of focusing on economic growth, we need to think about how people are actually doing. How are they living? Are they doing well? Are they flourishing? Do they have meaningful connections? We get away from economic growth, all of a sudden things drastically change. So my own view, we have to change our society and our norms. People cannot work 40 hours a week, commute 45 minutes each way, and then go home and watch television for five hours and expect to have a connected community. Now, I'm not telling people what they should do, but I'm suggesting that most people are not doing well and there are ways around that. We should have not economic growth, but degrowth. We should have a larger distribution of resources. We should have a situation in which people do not work more than 20 hours per week, job sharing and so forth, which has multiple benefits. First of all, you have way more time with your family and friends. You have way more time to connect to the community you live in. You can participate. Also, you have less income. Now, I want to be clear about this. We want to do this in a way so people aren't burdened by this. If you just have a recession, suicide rates go up, people are not doing well. We need to do this in a way that actually leads to well-being. Okay. But the point is, when people are not working 40 hours a week, all of a sudden, they have more social connections. They also don't have as much money. They don't buy as much stuff, and they don't need it. People who are more socially connected don't have as much material goods. It's as simple as that. So there are ways of doing it. It's not going to be easy, but society has to make a decision that the way we're headed is, first of all, not leading to well-being, and second of all, is leading to runaway climate change. 
No, absolutely. And I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of well-being and tying that into climate change because it's something that a lot of people don't always make a connection between and something that I do really want to touch upon. Um, I mentioned earlier The Quest by Daniel Jurgen, just a book about the fuel history of America and, well, globally, really, and then just breaking down um, what our options are when it comes to climate change. And at the end of the book, he talks about efficiency. And I think that's a really important conversation to have, especially when you're discussing how technology is really not going to solve all of our problems. Like geoengineering is fancy and shiny and it gets people interested in climate change solutions, but it's not really going to work if we are just bubbling the ocean to reflect a little bit more solar radiation. Um, at the end of the day, it's about efficiency and using what we have better. And I think in a sense that ties back to the circular economy theory because you are already using what you have and just making more of it, just a higher yield per product. But I think the idea of efficiency is really important when we talk about climate change solutions. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, I have very strong feelings about this. And uh, because, first of all, most people who are talking about climate change, who care deeply about it, trying to find solutions, they almost always center their efforts on efficiency. The idea being that is if we just use things more efficiently, we'll obviously use less, things will be better. Nothing could be further from the truth, and the empirical evidence is overwhelming. When you use things in a way that it's more efficient, what ends up happening is you end up using more. And when I say you, I mean society. So for example, when cars are more efficient, when they have higher efficiency standards, it leads to more driving. Now, there's a bunch of different reasons for that, and it's, it's somewhat complicated. It's not straightforward. But the point is, that's the outcome. When you have more efficiency in production, let's say uh, corporations producing something, when they become more efficient, those efficiency gains are put back into production. So it leads to more production, not less. So the efficiency gains are lost, essentially. And this is overwhelming. There's lots of papers on it. My colleagues and I have written about it as well. It's, there's no question about it. You cannot meet our climate change goals, or more importantly, our well-being goals through efficiency. It will not work. Okay, that's the first thing. You also brought up geoengineering, which we've, my colleagues and I have also written about widely. And geoengineering basically is using technological means to alter the climate. So it could be putting mirrors in space. It could be putting sulfur in the stratosphere that then reflects more incoming solar radiation so the planet is cooler. There's lots of ways of doing it. The, the point is, why are we doing it? Okay, the, and, the, and the answer is obvious. There's no question about it. First of all, it means you don't have to change anything in society. You don't have to change anything about the way in which we are organized, about production, about economic growth. None of that has to be changed. You just put more sulfur in, everything's going to be fine. The problem is, of course, if at some point you stop putting sulfur in, you've built up all these emissions, all of a sudden you have a catastrophe. The other thing is that it, there's no question. The people who are predominantly promoting geoengineering are doing so because they care about economic return, not climate change. Now, they'll tell you something different, of course, and that's fine. And I will, we've already received a lot of comments about this from people who are really pro-geoengineering. Fine, whatever. But the fact is you cannot get away from the reality, which is that this is a technological solution that is intentionally trying to make sure that our economy doesn't change, and more importantly, that people make a lot of money for it. Geoengineering has led to all kinds of patents being produced. One of the uh, primary promoters of geoengineering is the founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates. Okay, he's already said, basically, he doesn't want to do anything else. He wants to make a lot of money. It's clear. Okay, so the point is geoengineering is not, not an answer. Efficiency is not an answer. And these so-called solutions 
don't actually address why we have the problem in the first place, which is an economic system that is consistently and constantly and perpetually expanding. That's the reason. Wow. That's crazy. So essentially, just to kind of like wrap it up in a nice little bow, our issue is not necessarily that we don't have the means to solve climate change. It is more that we're not facing our current standards. Yes. The, the issue is that if you care about a problem, you have to know how the problem emerged. And the problem with climate change is that we have no conversation about that. We are mostly just talking about minor tweaks to a system that is fundamentally unsustainable and unjust, as opposed to actually addressing the real reasons why we have climate change. And zero waste, I'm sorry to say, is basically the same thing. Now, not everybody. I, I, there's lots of good people working on zero waste. I have a student working on a project right now on it. It's, it's important. But if you're not linking why we have so much waste to the economic system we have in place, then you're not linking the problem to the solution. And zero waste is not a solution if we're going to have the consistent, perpetual economic growth paradigm that is the basis of our society. You're not going to get to zero waste. You just can't do it. If you care about zero waste, you have to backtrack and find out why are we producing so much waste in the first place? There's so many products. Why is there so much waste? And at the beginning of that system, alter that. That's the way to do it. Now, again, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to say people working on zero waste aren't doing good work. The fact is we have tons of waste. We have to do something. So I applaud their efforts, and I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying if we actually really care about this, we have to go back farther and take a different approach. Brian, thank you so much for chatting today and really enlightening me. I feel like every time I talk to you, I'm just like a little bit more open-minded about how I live my life and how we should be approaching the climate change issue. If there's any way that people could get in contact with you, read your papers, however it may be, would you care to share that? Yeah, so you can find me basically on the Geography, Planning, and Recreation website at Northern Arizona University. I'm happy to talk to anybody anytime. And I really hope that people start thinking about this more because um, I've had people who have contacted me in the past, and I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I'm also saying that individual actions aren't important. But what we have to have is a different perspective on our society and how it's organized and structured and how that structure has led to the outcomes we're seeing. And the fact is, getting back to the earlier question, you know, what should we do about all this? You, you can't rely on technology. We need to have these connections, which is why I applaud you doing this podcast. You're reaching people that otherwise wouldn't have heard these things. And by the way, some people might disagree with me. They might look into something and, and take exception to it and find something that I'm wrong about. Fine. My point is that we have to have more connection, more conversation more action. And so if people really care about this, which I hope they do, I think what we really need to do is a little bit of soul searching and to think about what it is that we can do. And the fact is, it doesn't matter if you take shorter showers or drive a Prius. You can if you want, fine, but that's not going to change the situation. What we need is to find connections in society, find commonalities, come up with shared goals, and then demand total change. And that's the only way forward. Wow. Brian, thank you so, so much for taking the time today to chat with me. That was great. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. I hope y'all really enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Brian Peterson. Like I said, it just left me like so enlightened and thinking a little bit deeper about my own life choices and what I am really choosing to focus my efforts on as a scientist, as an activist, as a podcaster. And I hope that you guys really found some value in that. 
like I said, I feel like I learn best when I am being questioned and I'm not always talking to people that totally agree with me. So please, please let me know if you enjoyed that conversation with Brian, because I would love to continue having conversations like this on the podcast. A big one that he kind of brought up that I should totally bring up is nutrition, because we think so much about plant-based diets and we think about beans and how we need to be cutting back on beef. But there's a lot of kind of like controversial data if you dig a little bit deeper. So that would be a really fun conversation to have if you're interested. But anyway, please let me know if you enjoyed this episode. Either send me an email, lauraediaz.com is the easiest way to get in contact with me via email if that's your preferred method. But you can also DM me at Podcast or at lauraediaz. So at Podcast, the podcast page, it's actually so much fun if you don't follow it already. It's all pink and really pretty and I'm so proud of it. And I'm really active in like reaching out to you guys. I love when you guys share the podcast on your story so I can reshare them and get to know you guys a little bit better because I want this to be a really interactive space And I think that's one of the best things. There's so much community around this and I appreciate y'all so, so, so much. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.